Hello everyone. My name is Tracy Smith and I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the podcast. For the last several podcasts, I've been uploading my thoughts and ideas around the seven letters that are found in the beginning of Revelations. Now we haven't been able to go extremely deep because of a lack of time and obviously a lack of knowledge on my part, but hopefully they make just a little more sense now than they did before we got started. Now we've done letters one through six so far and we finally made it to the last letter Uh, and I have to admit that out of all seven of them this one is my favorite Uh, as usual we'll read the letter first or we'll read the letter and then as unpack and try to pick out as much as relevant information as possible but Because of the way the letter's written and because of the city itself, I want to tell you about the city first or relevant information about the city first, like I always do. Um, And then we'll read the letter. So uh, I think it's important that you know that Laodicea was the banking capital of the region. It was known for its wealth and its prosperity. Travelers and, and merchants alike would all travel to Laodicea because they knew if there was anything that they wanted, if they anything they wanted to sell or anything they wanted to buy, they could find it there in the market. The city was so wealthy, in fact, that the same earthquake that I told you about that hit the other uh, surrounding areas obviously hit it. But instead of allowing Rome to help them rebuild, they did it on their own. They didn't want to be indebted to the Roman government. So they paid and funded for all the rebuilding themselves. Uh, Most of the other cities could not have done that. They didn't have that kind of wealth. Laodicea also had an amazing school of medicine. The school was famous for a special ointment that was used to cure eye defects. And they also had come up with a cream to go in the ear. In the city, Near the temples for the gods, there was also a huge outdoor and indoor market where all sorts of people traded all sorts of goods. Now, for all the great things that were going on in Laodicea and all the great things it had going for it, the city had one major flaw. It did not have its own source of water. Now, water is obviously a necessity for any city. And Laodicea accommodated the need by building a huge aqueduct that ran for over six miles and it brought water to Laodicea from the south. The water came from either hot springs and it would cool by the time it got there or it came from a cooler source and by the time it got there it was warmed up in the pipes. They were concrete pipes or something like concrete pipes laying across the top of the ground. Either way the water was lukewarm by the time it got to the city. So for all its wealth The city had lukewarm, sulfur-tasting water, and it was the kind of water you would spit out of your mouth. So now that you know more about Laodicea than you probably do about the city you're currently living in, let's read the letter that John wrote to them. It's found in Revelations 3, 14 through 22. So it's a pretty long letter, but there's a lot packed in there. So it goes like this. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know all of the things you do that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are lukewarm, like lukewarm water, 
neither hot nor cold. I will spit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also buy white garments from me so that you will not be shamed by your nakedness and ointment for your eyes so you will be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. I say this every time, but there is so much to try to understand and, and go through in the next few minutes. And that my only ask is that when we get done with these letters, you'll go back and read them again. Because I want to see if it made a difference to you. I want to see if it, if you look at the letters differently or if some of the things that we talked about stick out in your mind. So let's break this one down. In the first verse, Jesus establishes who he is. After that, it's all downhill from there. Like he wastes absolutely no time in getting to the point in his letter. In verse 15, he says, I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, remember we talked about where they got their water from, right? Neither hot nor cold, I will spit, or some versions say vomit, you out of my mouth. Now, how would you like to be told that by Jesus Christ himself? That he wants to vomit you out of his mouth because of your lukewarm tendencies. So, after identifying himself, Jesus immediately tells the church at Laodicea that he knows their works. That they are neither hot nor cold. And because they are lukewarm, he's going to vomit them out of his mouth. So similar to how some people spewed, probably despised the water, the taste of the water and spewed it out of their mouth. Jesus said he would do the same thing, yet more violently. He would vomit them out of his mouth because their works were so distasteful to him. He then says, starting in verse 17, because you say I am rich have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. So let's stop there. So far, Jesus is brought up being lukewarm again. He's brought up the wealth and being increased with goods. He's brought up the ability to put something on their eyes that would allow them to see. See, why I'm going back through this over and over again is to show you that Jesus is not just pulling things out of the air when he's writing this letter, right? He's addressing specific things that was going on around the church of Laodicea. He called them lukewarm. He wasn't talking about their water. See, lukewarmness is the perfect temperature for mediocrity, right? Stop and think for a second about how many ways, and I've asked you this in one of the other, some of the other letters, but how many ways has your faith become lukewarm? Maybe recently, maybe in the past, maybe you've pulled out of it, 
but think about how you recognized it. What brought it to your mind and what made you go, ah, there it is. There's the problem, right? Because if you can think about it, then you can fix it again or you can stop it from happening again. See, Christ's words showed the citizens that he knew what was going on. He knew that in their mind, they thought they were wealthy. And it actually, from a worldly standpoint, they were wealthy. They had at least twice declined the government's help to rebuild their city. Yet this wealth had also blinded them from seeing where they were spiritually. They had, it had blinded them from seeing their spiritual condition. See, the culture of the city had infiltrated the church. The members didn't know how wretched and weak they were. Because for them, money and wealth meant everything. To heal their weak spiritual condition, Jesus said, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich. And then he talked about the garments. Christ's prescription to cure their condition paralleled what they were going on, what was going on in their life. Think about it. He spoke to their wealth. See, their wealth was in the city. But riches that really matter are spiritual in nature. 1 Peter 1.7 says, These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. James tells us in chapter 2 verse 5 that God chose those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him. So although, although Laodicea had a reputation for producing excellent quality garments, Revelations 19.8 tells us the bride of Christ will be dressed in fine linen, clean and bright representing the righteous acts of the saints. Although Laodicea produced medicine for healing various eye ailments, the most important things we need to see are spiritual. See, throughout the ages, Satan has blinded the minds of most people. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says, The God of this age, meaning Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they, that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God? See, this blindness is taken away in Christ. So when Jesus brought up the water and the gold, the eye salve, he was bringing up everything they had going on in their region. See, the reason I'm bringing this up is that when Jesus addresses us, he knows what we're living in. He knows what you're going through. He knows what your circumstances are. He knows what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are. Look at what he's saying. He's saying, I know what you got. I know what your living conditions are. I know what's going on in that apartment you're living in. I know what's happening in your city. I know what's going on at your job. I know what your bank account is, and I know what's happening in your marriage. I am fully aware of everything's going on in your life. That's what he was saying to the church at Laodicea. And it's what he's saying to the churches in all seven letters. Now, what was his counsel? See, counsel is advice. What was Jesus' counsel or heavenly advice to them? Look in verse 18. He said, I counsel you to buy of me. So what's he saying to them? I know what your water system provides. I know what your banking system provides. I know what your clothing 
and your medical school offers. Jesus is telling them he knows what they have in their own backyard, but I'm counseling you to look past everything you have in your life. I'm counseling you to look to me for the source of your life. See, I've got something for your life that's not located right down the street. Jesus is saying, I've got something better than your lukewarm water, better than your banks of gold, and better than your medical school can produce. He's telling them, I've got what you need. Your school may have reopened your natural eyes, but what I have to offer will open your spiritual eyes. Your markets may be able to give you the best looking clothes, but they are incapable of hiding the shame you're walking around with. Folks, we can play dress up if we want to. We can put on fine clothes and tailor-made suits and look like we got it all together. But inside, we're still busted and broken as we ever were. What Jesus is saying to the church of Laodicea is this. You have gold, but you're still broke. You've got clothes, but you're still shamed. And you've got ISAB, but you're still as blind as you ever were. He's telling him he's the only one that can help them. There's one point I want to make too. Because I believe it makes sense. And I believe this is a part of why God told me to do these letters. Verses 20 and 21 says this. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. And we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father on my throne. Think about that picture in your head. That verse paints a picture of Jesus standing outside the church at Laodicea, knocking on the door, trying to get in. He's asking to be welcomed and admitted into the church. Put this picture in your mind. Jesus is standing outside of his own church. It's not us. It's not people standing on the outside asking God if we can come in. It's God himself who has somehow been uninvited to his own church. He's standing at the door waiting on us to open it and let him back in. He does not force himself upon the church, but he patiently waits to be invited in. I want to show you something in the book of Luke that may help you understand this point I'm trying to make. The story Luke tells in chapter 24, verses 28 through 32. Chapter 24, 28 through 32. It happens after Jesus' resurrection. Luke tells a story of how, <clears throat> excuse me, two of Jesus' followers were walking home to Emmaus. And as they walked, they were talking about all the events that had taken place leading up to and after the crucifixion. The Bible says that Jesus suddenly appeared and been, began walking with them, but God kept them from recognizing him. When they reached Emmaus that evening, Jesus acted as if he were going on further. But the two followers urged him to stay with him. Having received their invitation, Jesus entered their home. Had they not invited him into their home, he would have kept walking. If the church at Laodicea had invited Jesus to enter into their church, undoubtedly he would have been there. But they never invited him in. So Jesus was standing outside looking for an invitation. If he gets the invitation he's promised 
whoever invites him in to fellowship. He promised to sit down and eat with them as friends. See, this verse is often used as an invitation to unbelievers to receive Jesus Christ. But I believe it applies directly to any church or anyone that is apathetic like the Laodiceans were. Jesus is willing to restore us or any church to a better state, but we have to demonstrate our willingness to obey God. Our willingness to obey God is what invites him in. So for the last seven podcasts, we have dug into the letters to the churches and hopefully you've learned a little something. What really hit home with me as I worked through and prepared for these lessons is that these letters weren't written to unbelievers. These letters were written to Christians and not just any Christians. They were written to the saints of the seven churches. They were written to people who represented Christ. They were written to you and I. And in closing, I want to tell you, thank you so much for committing what I know is very valuable time to listening to me ramble and ramble about letters written thousands of years ago. My prayer is that what you heard was not my voice, but that you heard whatever God was trying to tell you during each podcast. My prayer is that you listen to the messages of the letters and that you never become lukewarm and you never lose your zeal for God or your love for his people. That no matter what trials and troubles you face, you remain faithful and true. That you never turn your back on God. That through the power of God's word, you are able to resist the influences of Satan and walk away from the false teachings that you are sure to hear. That like the people of Philadelphia, you are able to persevere and remain strong through it all. See, I want you to know I'm praying for you and that my prayer deep down inside of me is that you become the Christian God wants you to be. That you become someone that stands up for God and takes your place at the table where you're supposed to be. Thank you for listening and God bless you.